Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their lords and or their lord and ours grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched, enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. I appeal to you, Brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you are baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of um, Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, so that's the reading. That's what we're looking at. And just kind of connecting the dots from last week. There's just a couple points to remember. First, that the saints in Corinth are sanctified. They're set apart. Well, I put a question here. What does that mean? So think about that, I guess. What does that mean? I was originally going to put the saints in Corinth are saints. But that seems too simplistic. Saints. Another word for saints is one who is sanctified. So I think that's... That's the question. What does that mean? Uh, just thinking about what we talked about last week in your own experiences, your own thoughts, your own encounter with the word of God, just kind of mull over just a picture of what that looks like to be a saint. 
uh, I guess your church experience might actually influence that a little bit. What does that mean to be a saint? Are you a saint? Do you have to wait to be a saint until you're dead and they analyze your life and find something significant about it? What does that mean to be sanctified, to be set apart for holy use by a holy God? Because that's really what it means if you look at a textbook definition. Textbook definition, set apart for holy use by a holy God. Uh, But also these saints are enriched in speech and knowledge. And we talked about that last week. So we're, again, this is a refresher. Not lacking in anything. Totally gifted by God. Waiting for Christ. Trusting in God. In fellowship with him. But. Their own fellowship is wanting. In 1 Corinthians 1.11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So there's, these are four big names, four big, 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 big names that can still, you know, be divided up. Oh, you know, I really like Paul's writings or I like Peter's writings or I like, you know, he's the, he's the chief, he's the head of the church. Forget James, the brother of Christ. You know, he wasn't really the, the leader of the church, you know, and so still denominations argue who is the leader of the church. Was it Peter? Was he the, the first leader, the first Pope, if you will? Was it James, this, the brother of Christ? Did, did Christ even have brothers? Certainly not, you know, but certainly he did actually, the Bible said so. So there's still these, this, this, the potential division. And that's just one example. I can take any, 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 many examples of things that divides the church. The church, if you look at the history, and the thing is the church has a sad, sad history. Just go home, order on Amazon a basic church history book, and you will see that 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 that, that, that it's the outline of any good I say good, but it's true. Any good history book about the church is usually outlined by divisions. The Reformation, you know, what the Baptists, you know, what they stand for, you know, as opposed to, you know, any Baptists, Methodists, <laughs> all the different churches, all these different, even pre-Reformation, the Eastern Orthodox division from the, the Roman church, all the, all through, if you look at an outline, it's all based upon when this church broke off from that church. That, that is what the story of the church, if you look at it from a purely historical perspective, is, is, is defined by. And that really is quite a sad thing. And it started so early on, so early on, this division. And if you look at what Paul is saying here, not only is it not, only is it not really, well, it's sad, it's just sad. It's a sad, sad thing to think about what the implications are or the vision of the church. When we look at what is the church, what is the church? And here he says, or is saying that the church is the body of Christ. How can that be divided? That's a sad thing to try to divide something that is so beautiful and so pure and so unique. And I guess that the second question then is, is, is it possible? How can you divide the church? 
And so we look at other Christians out there who might be divided by their you know, distinctives or whatever. We have, we, we can't, we're still connected to them, guys. You can't actually divide the body of Christ. You can't, it's not possible. So even though they're weird and they believe weird things, some other Christians from other denominations, if they believe and if they're sanctified, if they're saints, like he said here earlier, they're all over the place, but we're united in Christ. You know, it's hard sometimes to talk to these people because of their odd distinctives, but we have to live peacefully with them. So it's us getting along with each other, like the church in Corinth, but it's us also trying to work, trying to, to, to fellowship, trying to reach out to other Christians all over the place. Because that, that, if, if it's true that the church is, is universal, it's all Christians united in Christ, then, we, then, then, then it cannot be divided. But here we see division in these names, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and then even Christ. But he says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Is it possible? So the idea of this quarreling, okay, um, eris, contention, strife, or wrangling. I like that word wrangling. That's why I put the cowboys up there. I think of cowboys and Indians when I think of wrangling. Uh, engaging in a long, complicated dispute or argument. And that's it. These guys are known for their conspiracy theories. They're known for their agendas. They're known for always having to bring up that issue and wanting to like convince everyone everywhere that they're right and everyone else is wrong and stupid. Contention, strife, wrangling. Also, when I think of wrangling, that's what I think of as well, wrangling. So, and, and that picture actually is telling because... I don't know why those, they look like military, like Civil War military um, time folk. I used to think of cowboys and Indians. I don't know why these Confederates or whatever they are, are wrangling this cow. But, but, but when I think about wrangling, I think of also about like trying to capture someone. And so I think with our ideologies, with our opinions, I want everyone to believe what I believe. I want everyone to see. And I'm not about just like the, the, the simple, beautiful belief in Christ. I'm talking about all your weirdness and all my weirdness, all of our you know, distinctions or idiosyncrasies. You know, oh, everyone has to believe what I believe about this issue and about this issue. And so it becomes a business of capturing bulls. You know, and that's, so if we go to church thinking, we're, we're, well, our job is to capture bulls today. I want to make sure everyone who's, who's, who's stubborn in my church agrees with me. And that's what the fighting looks like, and that's what the fighting's all about. You know, it's okay to let people disagree. It's okay. Um, it's better that we talk openly and lovingly than to like shut each other down and shut each other off because of this wrangling business. You know, so when you rather come into a church rather than, you know, okay, Imagine going into a church and looking around and saying, okay, that person, I don't like them because they believe that. Or that person disagrees with me because of that. So therefore, I'm not gonna talk to anyone. I'm just gonna isolate myself. You're not gonna be there for much longer. But instead, if we could be a bit more choosier about our conversations, a bit more graceful in our speech and more tactful in using this thing that we talk about, this enrichment of language or speech and knowledge, we can maybe edify, maybe we can find some harmony. Yeah, you believe that and I believe this, but what's the harmony? How, how are we united? You know, that, that takes a clever mind. That takes, that takes talent and skill to be able to find differences, but yet a harmony within the differences. So rather than fighting and wrangling, 
We should be having fellowship and finding commonality and, and being able to be okay in accepting with the little differences that happen. Because ultimately, we are united in Christ. We're not united in our differences, we're united in Christ. And with that, is Christ divided? That's what Paul said, is it possible? Is, look at this, if you look at these scriptures, other scriptures, it doesn't seem like it's even possible that Christ can be divided. First Corinthians 12, 12, 31 says, for just as the body is one, talking about just the human body, right? And as many members, okay, so like your arms, legs, and your liver, lungs, and whatnot. All the members of the body, though many, are one. So it is with Christ. Wait, wait a second. Well, we have bodies, and Christ has a body. What's Paul talking about? Well, he's gonna explain to us what Christ's body looks like. For in one spirit, so just like a person has a spirit, that's that mind, that soul, that center that connects and makes everything kind of operate in harmony. So it is with Christ. There's harmony, and that harmony has a spirit. One spirit. Not many spirits, but one spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So he brings up the concept of baptism, which is going to come up a couple times, by the way. And the baptism isn't just a dunking in water. It's an immersing into Christ. So when we are immersed into Christ, we're immersed into his body, his way. That's why the church baptizes its members because we are a body. The church is a body. And when you, when, when you invite someone to be baptized, you're inviting them to join the body. You are now in the church. You're dead to your old way, alive in Christ. That's the significance of baptism. So now you are brought in, you're baptized, you're in the body of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or a slave or free, all are made to drink of one spirit. Again, we're connected. It's like a healthy body is connected by one spirit, one soul, one mind. So it should be, so ought be, so is the body of Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And now he's opening it up. So earlier we're talking about members in terms of limbs and, and organs and things like that. But now he's talking about members in terms of people. You are a part. You're like the molecular structure of Christ's body. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So he's mixing it very explicit, the very last sentence there, that it's you. You are the lungs, the livers, the souls, the bits, the bops that makes up the body of Christ in terms of the church universally. Okay, Romans 12, five or four and five says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Okay, so there's two ways you can look at this. First, you look at the people around you. We all have different functions, right? But really, cornerstone people are really, we're quite similar. I hate to say it, we are very similar. That's why we get along so well. It's because we do, we, we do think quite a lot alike and that's quite nice. But where things get complicated, and this is the second way of looking at it, is the other ones out there, which we try to work with and sometimes we hit and sometimes we miss, right? <laughs> but, but rather than just writing them off as a bunch of idiots, we need to say, well, maybe God has some other function for them. Maybe, 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 maybe we can't. 
work together and we try, it's hard, maybe we don't understand each other. And that, but that's, is that, is that, does that mean that we're bad? Does that mean they're bad? No, that means there's different functions. Let them reach out to a different demographic while we reach out to this other demographic. Because doesn't that seem a little bit more, doesn't that seem a little bit more impactful that we all have different ways, different you know, styles, different you know, ways of doing things so we can appeal to different people? That kind of makes sense. It's a bit strategic, isn't it? And so it's one thing to look at the different functions within us locally, but we also got to look at it outside, you know, when we look at the different churches in the area and in, in the world and whatnot, because we're all a part of that one body, okay? If that's what Paul is saying is true, which I'm assuming he is speaking the truth here. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body. So ultimately, let's get, let God have the, the charge. Let, let Christ take charge of how it's gonna roll, okay, guys? Let's let Christ take charge of how he wants things to, to pan out and to run out. Because he is the head. We're not the head, he's the head. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. And therefore, one body united in love. And again, that doesn't just work for us locally, but universally. And that could be hard to do sometimes especially when we don't always see eye to eye. But Ephesians 4.16 says, from whom the body, or from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, again, not just locally, but universally. If things are working properly, if the Holy Spirit's there and is, and is you know, connecting all the joints and making things operate the way they should, properly, the word properly, it's actually a phrase. The phrase needs to come together. And the way I define the phrase, I had to like look and look and look and try to figure this out. But the way I kind of make sense to me is working according to specification and as intended. That's what that means, working properly. So if the body of Christ is working according to specifications, the way it's set out to be, the way it's designed and intended to be, then you know, that's, it's just like a healthy body. It's like, we have healthy bodies. The church needs to be healthy as well. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And when it does function properly, it builds itself up in love. Love is a big, 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 big part of it. Love is forgiving as well. It's kind, it's gentle, it's not self-serving, self-seeking, yada, yada, doesn't parade itself. You know, he's gonna talk about it in a moment when we get to chapter 13. Colossians 3, 14 and 16. And above all these put on love. Again, we're returning back to love, which binds. So here we go. Earlier we're talking about the joints and the body being put together in a certain way. Here he's still talking about that, the binding of the bones and the muscles and the, all the tissue. How is it bind? How is it bound together? It's not by tenets per se, but it's by love. It's by the act, the practice of love. Binding everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ, we also have peace. So we have love, we have peace, peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So here I bolded called because called is, that is the intent. That's what God wants. Okay, we talk about the calling in our lives. We're talking about what God wants for us to do with our, with our lives. So God intended, he called. It's God wants us to be one body. Okay, that's it. So we're bound together by love and by the peace of Christ. So be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. Now here's a tough one because you think, well, we wanna be loving and peaceful, but we certainly don't wanna be admonished because admonish means to, to warn and to exhort. And that's the problem. If we start warning and exhorting and, and challenging each other, then we're gonna be dividing each other, right? But no, because what this here, this here is a, is a, is a positive thing. Here, this here is a building exercise, but it takes um, skill. It takes tact, okay? If you're admonishing results in division, it's not admonishing. Admonishing, to warn, to exhort, is, should be done in a spiritual way, with love and with the peace of Christ, to build. If you find that you're admonishing, and every time you try to admonish someone, to warn or to exhort someone, and, and it turns out into strife and conflict, then something's not going right. It's not, it's not functioning the way it's supposed to be. Yes, we do need to judge each other in terms of like challenges. When I used to talk about judgment in a moment here as well, but judgment in terms of, of thinking well, thinking wisely, thinking rightly, admonishing, warning, exhorting, admonishing, but it has to be done rightly with tact, with love, with the, with, with, with the spirit of God and the power of God you know, as a part. You know, and again, if we're thinking a lot alike, admonishing should be, straightforward like listen we we love each other we care for each other we want to work well with each other so what's it going to take for us to do that i might need a change you might need a change and it just takes some common sense you know and if we're not living according to the word of god then that right there is is the first stepping stone of of admonishment let's, let's live our lives per the word of god which is why we teach the word of god so moving on moving on Paul's intent for Corinth. So what does Paul want? What is Paul looking for in Corinth in this church plant? He says it in verse 10, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of you agree. So he, he, he wants unity and he wants us to be able to agree, but not in a superficial way. He doesn't want us to agree because it's like, oh, I disagree, but I'm just gonna agree because... Paul told me to. No, he wants it to be harmony, harmonious, to be real, to be genuine, not superficial, but genuine. I want you guys to agree, but let's, let's find things to be agreeable about and let's build upon that. Rather than focusing on division, let's focus on unity. Let's focus on what it is it, what it is that unites us. Let's focus on those things. And if we come across things that are a little bit different, let's just put a pen in it or let's have a nice chat about it, but let's focus on what unites us and not what divides us so that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind. That's an interesting word is mind. Well, first of all, divisions. I did write the definition for it's, it's, it's schisma, it's schisma. Like, schis, like, like, like the schisma, to rend, to rip. Uh, like a piece of fabric to divide. It's, it's quite a, a violent concept, this, this, this rending. It's not like a little tear, it's a big one. And then the mind, okay, uh, nous, nous, the mind. Okay, so here he says, united in the same mind, comprising alike the, the, the faculties of perceiving in understanding. So perceiving, it's quite the empirical way of looking at things. So you're, you, 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 you make sense of the world around you by perceiving, right? You look at things, you touch things, you handle things, you learn from the outside in. So it's kind of 
how we handle ourselves in the world to make sense of the world, but also the processing, the understanding, and those of feeling, judging, and terminating. So it's us just using our, our brains and trying to make sense of things that are current, like the coronavirus. How do, how do we operate in light of the information that we've received from various sources? I mean, that takes the mind. It, you, 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 you use your sound judgment. You don't just become impulsive. You reason it. You think, how, how do I act now that we've got this information? You know, is there much that needs to be done? Is it just a few things? Do we need to do radical thing, you know, measures like go buy up all the toilet paper in the shops? You know, use your mind, thinking clearly. But that also goes with everything within the issues that happens in church. And doctrinal things, issues, life issues, moral issues. A big part of what we do as Christians is we talk about moral things, things we ought, ought not to do. You know, where's the world going? How's the world trying to drag us down into maybe darkness? You know, the, the, the last days, the days of the end time, Jesus would be like the days of, um, of Noah, but also like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, where people are just doing their thing, void from God. So we have to be able to use our mind to figure out how we're gonna make a stand and be different. So their mind, not just issues, not just controversies, but also moral things. Uh, and then judgments. So of course we have to have, uh, we need to discuss and talk about judgments, but, but there should be a sameness. There should be some kind of unity or harmony with the way we make our judgments, these ethical decisions. Okay, Gnoma or gnome rather, gnome. The faculty of knowledge, mind, reason. So very similar, mind and judgment. That which is thought or known, one's mind, view, judgment, opinion, and mind concerning what ought to be done. So again, if there's something that as a church we have to address, I would hope that we would be able to have a similar opinion or judgment concerning what ought to be done. Again, if it's issues that are relevant to our lives, we consult the word of God, we talk about things, we pray about things, we might even have a, we debate or argue about things, but hopefully at the end we can all agree or be at least agreeable about a decision. That's what Paul's intent is for the church of Corinth. And that's, that, I don't know about you guys, but that seems like that could be a very difficult thing. And we're a small church and we generally are pretty good about things like that, but not always. And think about if we were a big church, 200 members or whatever, how would this even be possible? But again, this is Paul's intention. This is what Paul would like to see. He would like to see a church that we're on the same page with each other. Handling very difficult cultural issues, moral issues, and, and even doctrinal issues. So their fellowship is wanting. First Corinthians 1.13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Now we already talked about Christ being divided and that's not possible. Was Paul crucified for you? Uh, no, he wasn't. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, he makes it very clear that he, he wasn't in the business of baptizing. Okay, that wasn't his business. That wasn't his calling to go around and baptize people. And, and he's kind of glad about that. And that's what he's saying here in these verses. He's glad he didn't go around. He only, I think he only baptized one household. So, he, so just a, a group of, small group of people he baptized because whatever, it worked out that way. Paul's a spiritual guy. He was probably witnessing to a, this household of Stephanus, 
They said, hey, Paul, can you baptize us? He said, yeah, why not? Let's go. But as far as he recalls, that's the only household he baptized. Um, and what he's, and he's trying to make the point. It's like, we are all working together. We're all working together. It doesn't matter who baptized you. What matters is that we all have different functions. We all have different roles. In fact, his role, his function was to preach the gospel. He goes, you want to know what my business was? It wasn't really baptizing, which is in verse 17. But my business was to preach the gospel. And that's what I did. And, and, and obviously, that's what I was meant to do because you guys received it. And he didn't use fancy words. Again, the, the idea of, of, of arguing and, and being you know, right and crafting you know, fancy, eloquent arguments. He goes, I didn't come giving you guys eloquent arguments. Paul could have, because we know Paul was a pretty intense theologian. He was a bright, bright fellow. And he could have argued many people into the kingdom of God. But he just said, guys, this is the good news. And look what he did. He painted a picture of Christ on the cross. That's what he did. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't go into. You know, he didn't try to convince people using again. You know, really crazy, clever arguments. He just painted a picture and let people choose for themselves. And that's what he. That's how he describes preaching the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom because he didn't want to jeopardize the power of the cross. So what did he do? He just talked about the cross. This is what Jesus did. And I like that because even when doing your our apologetics, sometimes it's good to just talk about it in a very simple way. You know, we'll look at, like say the teleological argument. Okay, oh, well look at, let's look up, look at the universe. It, I mean, it's so crazy complicated. You know, how, how could it have come about in any other way but than having a creator God who, who, who had an intent to create it in such a way? Isn't that wonderful? Keep it simple like that, you know, as opposed to like, oh, details, you know. Because the thing is, if you paint, like, like what Paul did with preaching the gospel, the cross of Christ, in a very clear way, people have to deal it themselves. If they're going to argue with it, then they're going to argue with it. If they're gonna take it, they're gonna accept it because if it's a beautiful, wonderful thing and it makes sense, then they're gonna do that. And that's how Paul's mentality was. He could argue, he could have used lots of fancy words and theories and whatever, philosophies, but he didn't because he didn't wanna compromise the simple, straightforward, but so powerful, 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 of the cross of Christ. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, 20 says this. And this is just a reminder what the mission's all about. Again, you know, and it, it talks about baptism and it talks about the church, talks the authority of Christ, that's what Christ, it all is contained right here. Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So he's the chief, he's the boss, he's the head. Now go out and make disciples, make students of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey. So this is what the church looks like. It's receiving Christ, being brought in to the body of Christ through baptism and, you know, receiving teachings and observing the commandments of God and continuously being with Christ and realizing that you're with Christ until he returns again. It's a good verse. It's always nice to remind ourselves of that from time to time. And that's us guys, nice and early 
my little application slides right there. Not early, but on time. For Christ, for good. That's kind of the thoughts that I got from today's message. For Christ and for good. So saints, we're talking about saints still. They have fellowship with Christ and each other, right? Because he started by talking about the fellowship that we have with Christ. And he, Christ, God through his grace has brought us into fellowship with the Son. But we also have fellowship with each other. Unfortunately, in Corinth, it was a bit fragmented, wasn't it? So the question for us is just to think about how is your fellowship? You know, how is my fellowship? Is it good? Can it be improved upon? Should we be praying about things? Should we maybe uh, change the way we approach how we fellowship? I don't know. What issues might divide saints today? Now, this could be something that's relevant to Cornerstone, but it could be something that's, that's universal, that maybe that, you know, that we are aware of by having conversations with other people who go to different churches and whatnot. And, and uh, maybe we, we you know, have differences, and these differences might be quite hard to handle. It can be very difficult. It can be very contrasting. It can be very personal, some of these differences. So thinking about being wise about the issues that might divide saints today. Um, and then and really, here's a response to that. Defeat division with love in the peace of Christ. That's how we defeat division, through love, through the peace of Christ. And, and of course, we're gonna look more about how powerful love is later on when we get to it in verse Corinthians 13. Uh, practice unity. That's interesting because, you know, because I think a lot of times we're, we're, we're prone we, you know, we're, we are pre-established to practice division. You know, we like to talk about how, you know, the whole wrangling idea, you know, I want you to see things my way, you know, more so that's kind of our, it can be our default position, but maybe our default position should be unity first. Uh, is Christ divided? Okay, what are the implications of that, st- of, that, of that question? What does it mean? How can it be that Christ is divided? Is it even possible that Christ can be divided? Um, and if it does, if it is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is that a devastating thing? So, things to think about. So, a big part of what we're looking at today is just the church, these saints. They were supposed to be a certain way, but unfortunately they were acting in, a, in another, this, this, this way that was bringing division. Great.